as we go to the Lord in prayer today, remember uh, Blake and Debbie. Blake has gone uh, today filling in for Joel up at First Baptist Church, uh, Salem. And Joel is down here in Springfield helping Nathan with the Disciple Now weekend. So pray for those guys as they lead those ministries, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, we just come before you now. We thank you, Lord, that we are here in your midst uh, Lord, and we just pray uh, that you would just be with us, guide us in everything that we do. We sing, preach, pray. Lord, everything uh, that happens today, Lord, we just uh, ask you to guide us and, and uh, be with us. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you uh, that we can worship you today in spirit and in truth. And we do ask that you uh, just be with uh, our brother uh, Blake and, and just give him the ability to preach with authority and power and Lord may lives be changed and be with uh, Joel as he leads the students down at Boulevard and, and just thank you for the ministries that they have uh, this morning and we just ask for you to uh, guide them. Lord, thank you again for this day and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, be seated. Um, so just a reminder real quick and I'm, I'm yeah, we're going to get to that but sorry. Uh, didn't have this up there. The Resurrection Day um, uh, invite, little business-sized cards, so be sure and grab those. Uh, tell your friends and family about Resurrection Sunday, uh, sunrise service, 9 o'clock service, and 10.30 service, okay? Now, uh, oh, this is good. Sometimes there's murmuring, and, and, and not everybody's paying attention, but everybody's paying attention. This is good. This is really good. Because everybody needs to know about this. Um, the connection card today, okay, special use today. If you are coming to the 7 o'clock sunrise service in two weeks and are staying for our breakfast, our sunrise service breakfast, okay, we need you to circle B for breakfast and put a number beside that B for the number that's coming in your family, Okay. And and we and then turn that into the offering plate today, and that'll give us a good a good count. Has anybody been involved in a, a Baptist church where you run out of biscuits and gravy? <laughs> Me neither, and I don't want to find out. So so be sure and circle B and uh, and put the number down and turn that in today, please, and that'll give us a good count of what's going on. All right, all right. As we uh, continue on through Ephesians today, we're going to get into verse uh, uh, chapter four, verse thirty-two, that talks about forgiveness. My question to you, and and man, it it hit, hit me like a, a brick. Um, if you were to go to three or four of your best friends and just say, "Hey, uh, get, give me the first three words that come to mind about me," would one of them be, "Oh, you're a very forgiving person." You're a very humble person. You're, you know, all, all these traits that we should have. Would, would those be the things they mention? And so this second verse of this song really, really helps us to see that. Let it be said of us, we were marked by forgiveness. We were known by our love and delighted in meekness. So let's really focus on this song today. And it may be new to some of you, but that's okay. You can learn it as we go. Let this these good things about what we're supposed to be doing be said of us. Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion. We would All 
forgiveness verse. Let it be said of us, we were marked by forgiveness, we were known by our love, and delighted in meekness, we were ruled by His peace, leading unity's fold, joined as one body, that Christ would be seen by our eyes on who? Jesus Christ and Him alone. Let's sing it together. Yes. 
continue in a time of worship, a time that includes not just singing, but giving, giving of our resources, resources that you have so richly blessed us with, resources that we are simply stewards of, you own, we manage. And so, Lord, help us to give back to you in a way that would be joyful, a way that would honor you, a way that would grow the kingdom, and uh, a way, Lord, as we sang earlier, that would show the unity that we have in you, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Well, good morning. Hey, let's study the Word together. If you will take your copy of God's Word and let's open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. And our scripture reading for this morning will begin in verse 31. And we'll read down through chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, Again, I remind you that there are no chapter headings or verse headings in the original language. So I believe that this thematic structure runs down through verse 2. And so we look forward to reading this. Uh, As I was studying this week, the thought came to my mind that grace is a two-way street. Y'all do realize that, right? As you start reading, beginning in Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy, uh, therefore, in a manner worthy to which you have been called. So if grace has come to you, God expects grace to flow from you. Right? That's what we mean by grace being a two-way street. Not that you add something or give something to your salvation. We know that's not true. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But if the grace of God has changed you, then God expects for the grace of God to flow out of you. Right? Let me show you what I mean by that. You say yes, Pastor, right? Amen. But easier said than done when it comes sometimes to forgiveness, right? Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger... And clamor and slander be put away from your mouth or from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If you have been forgiven, God expects you to be a person who forgives. Now, right away, I want to remind you that this construction is logically connected to what precedes it. Particularly in the realm of putting off, right? And putting on. That makes us start thinking about a wardrobe, right? Putting off, putting into the, uh, the dirty clothes hamper what needs to be put off along with the old man. That's what characterized you as an old, old man, meaning the old man, the man that has been redeemed. You put off, but you have to put on. And you're putting on something in this text. So... These admonitions that start in 525 and go down through 52 are actually practical illustrations of what it means to be a new creation in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away and all things become new. That is the putting off and the putting on. Further, There is this reappearance. Um, I think it's really important that we connect things in the Bible, right? Especially when you're preaching contextually or expositionally. There's this reappearance of the word walk in chapter 5, verse 2. Do you see it? It is the Greek word peripateo. And it links back to chapter 4, verse 1. That's why I think this is one section Therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love. Paul goes back to it. And he's reminding us about this walk. And then finally, there's a connection with five, chapter 5, verse 1, back to chapter 4, verse 24. Listen to it. Chapter 4, verse 24. And to put on the new self... Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. Right? There's the connection. If you are in Christ Jesus. You've been made a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus. Then therefore you now can be an imitator of the Lord God. So thus far. uh, Jason reminded me. I think I put in the bulletin. This was part 3. Sorry it's really part 4. All right. Uh, But we fixed it, 
for the simulcast to let them know that this is part four. But just think back on what we've learned so far with these exhortations. They're about personal relationships, right? Remember what I said? Uh, to live above with the saints. To live in heaven with the saints above. That will be glory. But sometimes to live below with the saints we know. Now that's a different story, right? So personal relationships in the community life is what this is about. And some of these have been right to the face, right? And to the side and the heart. And we're thinking, wow, Paul is blistering us. But think about this. Don't lie, but speak the truth. Don't sin when you are angry. Don't steal, but work hard. Don't speak what is harmful, but what builds up. And last week, I hope that one gripped you like it did me. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Positive motivation. Because you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul doesn't stop there and say, giving you a warning. If you grieve the Holy Spirit, God could kill you. And that's true. But the positive motivation there given to us is, remember that he sealed you to the day of redemption of your soul. In other words, you are eternally secure because of the sealing. A seal is a seal. Aren't you thankful for that reality? Now, let me clarify something to you because it's vitally important. The first thing I would say is that when we read admonitions like this and exhortations, it's very easy for us to say, I hope my neighbor listens to this. I hope the person beside me, it's like when I was in chapel once at Southeastern, my preacher friend hit me like this and said, Man, that's such a good sermon, I'm convicted over your sin, right? (laughs) Well, in reality, it's very easy for us to stand aloof to what this text actually says and to start thinking about those in your life that haven't forgiven you or those that have a problem forgiving others. Well, speaking from a preacher's perspective, it's not just that you need to hear this, I need to hear this. As we've reminded often that we study the word because we want the word to chisel at the preacher's heart as well. We want it to shape us to be more like Christ. H.B. Wells, H.B. Charles once said, A passion to preach without a burden to study is a desire to perform. You don't preach the word for performance. You preach it so that God will perform his work in you. Right? That God will do this. The second thing I want to remind you of is that we need to be very careful that we teach. We don't teach the wrong thing when we're saying live right. How is that possible? <clears throat> well, it's possible because of what's called moralism. Y'all know what that is? This is the danger that when we teach or preach a message, that we teach a moral principle apart from the gospel. Okay? So, in other words, Christianity can simply be a right and proper way to live. I.e., all the politicians in the world who claim to be Christians, but their lives are totally contradictory. Right? They do good things. They think they are morally right, but that's called moralism. And when that occurs, the fundamental message at churches is just be good and do good. So, whenever that fundamental purpose is to improve the behavior of others... So that the redemptive work of Christ is either denied or largely overlooked. Then that sermon is nothing more than a moralistic do better sermon. We suggest at times that if you just change the way you live and have the right method everything will be okay. Well folks moralism appears to have a veneer of biblical Christianity but it is not. Understand I'm not giving a rant against right living. It always helps the society if that's the case. But you can preach the Bible in such a way that it is totally moralistic and it sends people to hell. Right? Because that's an ethic or a moral without redemption. So it is the message of life without the life-giving message of forgiveness. And there's no Christianity without forgiveness. There's no new creature made in Christ without redemption. So moralism is a message of life Without the life-giving message of forgiveness. It's a message devoid of redemption. Minimizes forgiveness. Why? Because everybody's good in America. Why do we need forgiveness from anything? Well, the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Do I need to repeat what's taught to us regarding Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 of our condition? So moralism leads to a self-sufficient conduct. Well, that's not faith. Self-sufficiency is not the gospel. This is one of my pet peeves at times when it comes to children's curriculum. We talk about how brave David is and we say, be a David. We talk about how strong Samson is and we say, what do you do with that guy anyway, Samson? I mean, good grief. Well, we need to be careful when we give out these moral applications without telling them it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and forgiveness that changes you. So, I know I'm on a little bit of a rant because, folks, years ago, George Whitfield was preaching a sermon and it was called, What Think Ye of Christ? He preached this in the 1700s. And here's what he said. Mere heathen morality and not Jesus Christ is preached in most churches. And that was in the 1700s. What do we say about today? We often preach a message of moralism without Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ said this. All the prophets point to me. Why? Because I must suffer before I enter into my glory. It pointed to what he was going to do on Calvary's cross for us. All right. That was all free. Yeah, it didn't cost you one thing. Okay, so keep those two things in mind. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. And we're not preaching this as moralism. We're preaching, this, we're preaching the subjects. Why? Because Jesus Christ has saved your soul, changed your heart. And now that you've been changed, here's the way you're supposed to live. Does that make sense? Okay. So, chapter 4, verse 31, down through 5-2. Some scholars believe this is a summary exhortation for all interpersonal relationships. I can get that, okay? Kind of a, a summary. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to give vices and he's going to give virtues. Okay? He's going to give vices that are connected with the old man. He's going to give virtues that are connected to who you are in Jesus Christ. Does Paul ever do this anywhere else? Yes. Glad you asked. Romans 1, 29 through 31. 1 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. This one you should know because it's couched together with the fruit of the Spirit. And that would be Galatians 5, 19 through 23. And then we have Philippians 4, 8. Don't you love that? Think on those things which are lovely and are of a good report. And so Paul gives these vices of the old self, virtues of the new self. So let's dive in. Ready? Two points today. Don't be bitter or angry, but forgive one another. I'm putting together, summarizing verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So... Well, this is a call to rid ourselves of bitterness that will eventually lead to anger and abusive speech. When I was studying this, I was looking at the grammar, trying to see how this connects together. And I agree with most scholars that there is, we don't want to ever overinterpret anything, but I do believe there is a progression in these five things. Okay? And why do I say that? Well... I think that it begins with an inner disposition of bitterness and then it leads to uncontrolled and hurtful speech in the end. So there's somewhat a progression. If, if you've been around people that are just straight up cantankerous and they've, they've lived that way for years and years and years and they claim to be believers, you often see that they just spew these kinds of things because of the past. You see this with a, lot, with a lot of hurt church members that got hurt over something through the years. And, and yet they're, they're divorced from the community of faith and these things are in them. And so this progression of bitterness, wrath and anger, clamor, slander, uh, all malice. They're kind of progressing upon one another. So, bitterness is an inner disposition leading to uncontrolled and hurtful speech. Again... We're not certain why Paul is tuning in specifically on anger in the church of Ephesus. But he says the same thing in Colossians 3 verse 8. And he, puts, he links together wrath and anger at the same time together. So bitterness is a metaphor derived from a description if you were to bite down upon a bitter plant. You ever done that before? 
I've tricked my kids before. The last one I remember getting, I don't know if it was Timothy or Merritt, but we were on a golf course and there were some persimmons hanging on a tree and I was like, hey, try one of those out, dude. They're pretty good. And they, oh, it was a quick bite and they threw it down, you know. That's the plant. That's the bitterness that he's talking about. I think Andrew Lincoln is correct when he says, that's a hard-heartedness that harbors resentment about the past. Something that's just there and it's bitter. The next words, wrath and anger, often appear together in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you read Colossians 3.8, wrath and anger are together. They're almost without distinction. But if there is a distinction, it has to do with the fact that wrath represents a passionate outburst and anger is seething animosity. You ever had that before? Is this about, so is this sermon at this point about you or your neighbor, right? We, we think about this for a moment. So, the word for anger, orga, actually is that seething animosity. And then when you get to the word clamor, it means shouting back and forth in a quarrel. And slander, blasphemeo, you ever heard that word? Means a kind of speech that is defamatory or it is abusive. So there's this rhetorical effect of this accumulation of terms of anger, which is powerful. And it summarized with, with this phrase, along with all malice, which means being mean-spirited. Folks, this is kind of indicating anger in all its forms. Together with malice associated with it uh, is something that we have to put away completely. You understand? Again, go back to verse 24, leading into 25. These are illustrations of putting off what was associated with the old man and putting on what is associated with the new man that you have been made in Christ Jesus. Folks, these things are destructive to the community of faith. Again, Jesus would tell us, forgive your, even your enemies. But in this particular realm... We're dealing with the community of faith. Amen? And these are things that have to be put away. And notice what you do in their place. What do you do? Well, you have to replace it. You have to put on, listen to the text, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, here's what we're tempted to do. Lord... Most of the time when it comes to forgiveness, I'm right, and I do right by you nine out of ten times. And here's what we do. We maximize the ten, and we minimize the one. Hello, church. Y'all listening? Well, I'm telling you, Paul is concerned with this. You have to put these things away. So I would remind you, in ethical living, based on the gospel, I think it's important that you minimize the nine you're doing right and put the maximization on the one you're not. Right? It's easy to say, Lord, I got nine friends and we're all good. We've got this one, you know, it's kind of festering. I'm clamor, you know, slander, but I think I'm flying under the radar, Lord, and everything's okay. God will not leave you alone until you get that right. Is everybody listening? What's your response? Kindness and forgiveness. We should be people known for kindness. And forgiveness based upon the depth. Check this out now. Again, indicative. What has God done for you leads to what you do for others. You can't do for others if God hasn't done that for you. Okay? So the indicative is God has given kindness toward you. As a matter of fact, without the kindness of God, you're not led to repentance. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It is the kindness of God that leads you unto repentance. What about forgiveness? Well, what about the word kind can also mean loving and benevolent. You have to put that together with it. And then tenderhearted also means compassionate. And then if you take that prepositional ace, uh, prepositional phrase, it's toward one another. That's the goal of all of this. Kindness, forgiveness, how toward, as the goal, one another. And then there's a pronoun that indicates that the command to forgive others is directed to this community of faith. This is, you know, you know, Scripture says judgment must begin where? In the house of the Lord. This is, this is talking about community relations. So, how do we deal with this construction as you have been forgiven? It could be two things. Forgive just as God has forgiven you, 
Or it can be causal, with force. Forgive because God has forgiven you. Either one of those would be acceptable. Remember, it was the kindness of God that brought you to repentance. Paul tells us in Titus 3, But when the kindness of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He loved us when He appeared and He saved us. It's the kindness of God. How about the psalmist? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, great in faithful love. Psalm 145 verse 8. And the Bible says, And Yahweh, if you considered sins, Lord, who could stand? If you marked our iniquities, who could stand? Aren't you thankful that God has forgiven you? And then the Bible would remind us here in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Listen to it again. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Would we not say that in all of Scripture, this is one of the most powerful reminders of what it means to not forget to forgive? Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, folks, look what the model is. As God in Christ forgave you. Gospel forgiveness. What is that? Well, it's the complete forgiveness of our sins, all of our sins, through the new covenant in Christ's blood, whereby God promises to remember our sins no more. What an incredible principle. That is what it means. That's what we mean by gospel forgiveness. This is Christ-centered. This is cross-centered. It's the truth that Christ shed his blood. And through you trusting in Christ, God remembers your sins no more. What an amazing thing. What's the implication? If God can forgive us, there's nothing that we should not forgive our church members of. That's the implication. Should there be consequences to actions? We saw something about this in Hollywood, did we not? Should there be consequential... (laughs) Oh, yeah. Don't you love it? No. Consequential... Yeah, there's consequences. Yet, Jesus taught us to dwell on how he forgave our infinite debt so that we will be quick to forgive others when they sin against us. If you need to hear that, read Matthew 6, verse 12. That's in the context of the, Lord, the model prayer of the Beatitudes. And then later in 14 through 15 of chapter 6, chapter 18, 21 through 35. And Luke chapter 6, verse 36. We know this in the Lord's Prayer, correct? And forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We hear that. We hear it, don't we? Now... We could certainly say that to not forgive is to not rightly appreciate what Christ has done for you. Did y'all hear that statement? To not forgive is to lack an appreciation and thankfulness for and understanding of, of the magnitude of which you have been forgiven. Question this morning, do you cherish the treasure of gospel forgiveness? I'm telling you folks, it's the crown jewel of the new covenant in Christ's blood. To be forgiven by the Lord. For our sins to be removed as far as the east is from the west. To be buried in the deepest part of the sea and remembered no more. Right? Here's something I want to talk to you about just for a moment. Okay? Some application about this. Spend some time meditating on forgiveness. Do that, folks. We find it hard to do, but it's necessary for all of us. The only way to get certain truths woven into our minds is to meditate on them. And the best way to get that into your mind is to meditate upon the Scripture. And the really best way to do it is memorize what the Bible says. Right? Put it to memory. So if you want to cherish forgiveness, we need to stop long enough to think and meditate on it. Maybe we should spend some time thinking about how guilty we were before God. That means you read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 over and over again. And then you read verse 4. But God, who made us alive... In Christ, Think about how awesome it is to be saved from the hour of temptation. Think about how his blood has washed away our sins. The Father's wrath has been completely satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I have a merciful and great high priest pertaining to the things of God. He's interceding for you on your behalf every single hour of every single day. The Bible says he made propitiation for our sins. I'm reminded of the horrible nature of my sinful condition before God and the fact that 
even though we were unlovely and enemies of God, He made propitiation for my sins. Wow, folks, it's something to meditate on. Second, uh, here's some psalms you can read about meditating on it. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, and Psalm 130. Brother Jeffrey did a wonderful job in an exposition of Psalm 32 just a few weeks ago on a Sunday night. If you didn't come on Sunday night, you missed it. The debt is gone. Be reminded of that. So, Think about forgiveness. Secondly, think about what we sing. Hey, Brother David does a great job at bringing together music that helps you think about the things. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Gospel forgiveness. We sing those things. We don't just read hymns. We sing them. Why? Because God's goal is to take what's in the hard drive of your mind and drop it into your affections. No amens? Amen. Is it there? That's what hymns are for. Amen. There's no place for stoic Christianity when sinners just sit there and don't think about the fact that you've been forgiven by God and not on your way to hell. We ought to sing to God's glory because of that. Amen? Amen. Yes, we should. Think about what you are singing. It's designed to grip your heart. It's designed in such a way to help truth sink into your mind. Number three, relevant for next week, use the Lord's Supper as a fresh realization of your pardon from sin. If you never attend the Lord's table, you don't ever think about it. And I know I've been told, Pastor, you need to do it some on Sunday morning. I get that. And we are next Sunday morning to help some that have a hard time getting here. But some of you don't have a hard time getting here. You could come and you never visually look up to the front and you never think about what your pardon means. Why do you think we have the body? Why do you think we have the bread and the cup? It is a realization. It's a vivid symbol of the bread. It's a visible symbol of the cup. Why? It brings you back to the fountain field. With Emmanuel's blood flowing from his veins. It helps you think about that. And when sinners are plunged beneath that flow, they lose all their guilty stains. Amen? So the Lord's Supper compels us to go back to the cross. We don't make a whole lot of trips to the cross if we never attend the Lord's Supper. Number four, be ready to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit from his word. Right? We all need this. We need to be driven to the foot of the cross over and over and over again. We need to be reminded. We need to be put in positions where we have to forgive so that we think about what we've been forgiven from. Right? Now, here's the deal. It's hard to forgive. Did you know that? It's not easy. Some of us are more prone to hold a grudge than others. Some of us get over things a little bit faster. I mean, my family says that about me. You know, I may have an outburst, but, you know, I try my best not to let the sun go down on my anger, right? Which means you limit that. Before God, you have to limit the way that you respond. But some people are more prone to hold a grudge. We not only hold grudges, we like to nurse a grudge. You know what that means? To hold a grudge means it stays the same size. But if you nurse it, it grows, and you actually get to where you enjoy it. You like that grudge, and you nurse it, and you make it more and more. Look, folks, left to ourselves, we don't like to forgive. We'd rather get even. We'd rather hurt the person that hurt us. Here's the problem. God will not leave you alone when it comes to forgiving others. He won't. So, I have been forgiven, therefore I must forgive Do you know that before the foundation of the world, God made a choice to forgive you? That's what this text is about. In Christ, he has forgiven you. And it was not some kind of emotional numbing that occurs when God just says, well, I'm just going to forget it. God has chosen to forgive you in Christ. What an incredible reminder. What does forgiveness mean? Again, God exercised his grace toward you in the work that Christ accomplished and counseled your debt. Counseled it. He treats you as innocent because of the Son of God. It means to show grace by providing undeserved help to someone unworthy. 
Folks, that's all of us. We all qualify for that, and we must do the same. Some of us have the idea that if we hang around long enough in this particular unbelieving, unforgiving spirit, that it will eventually grow numb on us, and we'll get calloused, and we'll eventually lose it. Well, folks, if you can't just let it go, then it's certainly something that needs to be forgiven. Now, I say it like that for a reason, because in Baptist church life, we really do need to be more prone to just let things go. But there are some things that you just can't let go. Y'all listening? And when you just can't let this thing go, then there is an issue where you need to seek forgiveness. Some of us, to be honest with you, are more what I would call Velcro Christians. You know what that means? Nothing ever slides off them. Everything sticks to them. Here's an example. Bad day at church already. So-and-so got my parking place. They know full well that I park in that place every Sunday. Oh, better yet, some of you walk by your seat and you just tower over people. <laughs> and if that's not enough, you just get a little closer. I mean, we could have had revival this morning, but you unplug revival because you're in my seat. Right? Think about the attitudes that we have. So-and-so has this position in the church life. I want that position. How dare them go after that? You know, folks, don't be a Velcro Christian. Let some things slide off. But there's certainly times when you just can't do that. Right? You know it's a forgiveness issue. Believing families when the husband leaves the wife. Now you're talking about hard, difficult, making a choice. How about when a wife steps out on a husband? How about... When a rebellious child hurts the family in such an incredible way and breaks your heart. You know, some of those things are not easy to forgive, are they? Just think for a moment. It's not easy to forgive. It's a tough choice. But it's also a faith choice. Corey Tin Boone once said, I've never been able to forgive anyone until I've prayed for them. You ever notice that when you start praying for someone, it's hard to hold a grudge? Because God begins to providentially move your heart to do that. It's a hard choice. It's a faith choice. But I want to remind you, statistically, it's a smart choice. Because study after study has shown at Michigan University, there's one. At UNC Chapel Hill, there's one. It, the one at Michigan shows that an 18-year-old study regarding women who harbor bitterness were three times more likely uh, to be in physical health problems based upon it. And then men were five times higher to have the same problems because of bitterness. I think we need to get a grip on grace. And when you understand the magnitude of, what, of that which God has forgiven you, then you will forgive others. The Bible also reminds us that we have to forgive our enemies. Well, that's even harder, isn't it? I brought in an illustration of that. That's a jerker. But it's, it's getting late. So what shall I do? I'm going to let you hear that illustration. All right. In his book, Lee Strobel wrote a book years ago called, God, called God's Outrageous Claims. And I remember reading this story as an excerpt for one of my classes. And uh, the story goes, it's about Frank and Elizabeth Morris. They lived in a small town in Kentucky. And in December of eight, 1982... Frank uh, was a pastor, associate pastor at a church in Kentucky. And his wife Elizabeth was a homemaker. Two days before Christmas in 1982, Frank was at the church office late at night. And Elizabeth, his wife, was preparing for bed. And exactly 10.40 p.m. that night, the phone rang. When Elizabeth answered the phone, the, Phone, the voice on the end of the line said, this is the local hospital. Is this the Morris residence? Elizabeth said, yes, it is. Does the 18-year-old boy, Ted Morris, reside in your home? And she said, yes, he does. I'm his mother. Well, I hate to give you bad news, but we have your son down at the hospital, and you need to come as quickly as you possibly can. And he's been in an automobile accident. Elizabeth called Frank and they met and rushed to the hospital, but they were too late. The son died. He was a first semester college kid. Elizabeth talked about how in that moment, 
and we know this, her whole life went spinning out of control. She just physically collapsed upon hearing the news. Elizabeth said, after a short time at the hospital, she heard for the first time those horrible words. Drunk driver. Ted was killed by a 24-year-old drunk driver with a blood alcohol level three times the legal limit. Elizabeth said that I didn't know that it was possible to hate someone so quickly. I didn't think a believer could hate that much. But I hated him instantly. The family suffered through the difficult days of the funeral. Arrangements were made trying to put their lives back together. Sometime afterwards, the man went to trial for vehicular homicide. And we don't know all the legal parts of how this worked out. But for some reason, he was called a first offender. Pled, there was a plea bargain and he only got probation. Elizabeth could not believe it. It only heightened her hatred to the young man. She grew extremely bitter. Her friends could not stand to be around her because of this obsession of hating this man. It actually drove a wedge in her marriage. She would, talk, she would stalk this man trying to catch him doing something where he breaks his probation and he would go to jail. She fantasized about killing the young man. She thought most about catching him walking across the parking lot and just running over him with her car. She finally had her chance one day and all she had to do was press the gas, fire up the car, press the gas and plow over him. But in that moment, the Spirit of God spoke to her heart. And she realized that she was in deep bitterness and it was ruining her life. She went to the senior pastor of the church and said, I'm falling apart. He said, Elizabeth, you must make a choice to forgive this man. Whew. She said, I can't do it. The pastor said, Elizabeth, do you remember what Jesus said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He went on to say, I know Ted is in heaven and he can't speak to you. But if he could, I think he would tell you, Mama, forgive him for he did not know what he was doing. At that point, she got down on her knees. She sought the Lord's forgiveness. She made up her mind that she was going to do whatever it took to forgive this man. She finally mustered up enough courage to write the man a letter. And so she shared all her heartbreak, her pain of losing her son, her grief, her frustration. But she then said, I have decided, I've made a choice to forgive you. She sent the letter she didn't hear anything for quite some time. She even wondered if he'd ever read the letter. But on one Sunday morning in a small church in their town in Kentucky, this young man walked into the back of the church, and he sat down. And everyone in the church knew who this man was. They lived it. They lived it with the family. Everyone in the church knew who he was. They wondered how Elizabeth would respond. When she entered the auditorium, all, her eye, all eyes were fixed on her, and she began to wonder why and started looking around and she finally saw the young man. She said her knees began to shake and her legs began to fail. The young man was sitting alone. No one would sit with him. But Elizabeth Oliver went over and sat beside this young man. She didn't say anything, never said a word. She just sat there. For several Sundays in a row, he was there and Elizabeth was the only one that would sit with him. One Sunday morning, the grace of God reached down and touched his heart. He got up, he went forward, he trusted Christ and Christ's grace to save his life. And guess what happened a few weeks later? He's baptized. And guess who does it? Yep. Ted's father, Frank, stands in the baptismal pool. When Frank declared in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, plunged that man underwater, he brought him up and the two of them just stared at one another. Then Frank Morris put out his arms something like this. And the young man just fell into his arms. Wrapped him up in his arms. And there was spontaneous applause that filled the church. And in that moment, Elizabeth Morris said, God spoke to her heart and said, This is what it's all about. Grace to you and grace lived out to others. Well, that's just one story. And I'm sure there are many, many of those. But I'm telling you, folks, many, many times, forgiveness of an enemy is not to get that person off the hook. It's to get you off the hook. Are you listening? Yes, as a believer, that's what it's for. Now, I'm going to stop there because next week I am going to talk about imitating God by walking in love, but I'm going to tie it to that fragrant offering that was given for you in the Lord's Supper, the Lord Christ. Amen. Have you forgotten to forgive? There's a song that I listened to when I was a child. It was actually written by Rusty 
Goodman. And it's called, Had It Not Been. You ever heard that song? Made popular by the Gaither Vocal Band in years gone by. The first verse, I could take it or leave it, a little bit theologically unsound from my way of thinking. But the second verse hits the nail on the head. And it talks about just suppose, just, it speaks of, I'm so glad that the Son of God was willing to drink that bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he never called, and he could have, a million angels to pull the nails from his hands that tormented him. But he didn't. The song goes like this. And I'm so glad. He was willing to drink that bitter cup. Although he prayed, Father, let it pass from me. And I'm so glad he never called heaven's angels. From these hands, pull the nails that torment me. If you say, you know the song. Had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary. Amen. Had it not been for the old rugged cross. And had it not been for a man called Jesus. And here's the ending. Then forever my soul would be lost. Don't forget to forgive, folks. Because without his forgiveness to you, your soul would forever be lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the powerful word of God. And Lord, perhaps there's someone in our congregation that has literally forgot to forgive another brother or sister in our church. God, if that's the case, Lord, may you display your grace in our church. And Lord, there could be people here today that are more in line with the final illustration that we had about forgiving an enemy. Lord, we were enemies of you, and you forgave us. Lord, I know it's tough. It's a hard choice. It's a tough choice. It's a faith choice. But Lord, help us remember it's a smart choice. God, you want us to have all the benefits of what it means to be a child of God. And sometimes when we harbor bitterness, we miss it. The joy of our salvation is squelched. God, help us. May this be a time of repentance. Lord, if there's an individual here that either has trusted you as Christ and need to make it public before this body... Or if someone here is lost, oh Lord, let us never forget the price you paid on the cross to save us from our sins. Had it not been for a hill called Mount Calvary, oh rugged cross, and the obedient Son of God who existed for all eternity but made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant, and dying a death in our stead, on our behalf. We praise you for it. As we enter into Palm Sunday next Sunday and Easter Sunday, may we think and dwell on the cross and the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song that comes from Psalm 103. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure. Oh,
going to sing one more verse. Don't delay. Last verse. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Oh, think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Well, praise the Lord. Sure glad you were here this morning. And if you were a visitor, we praise the Lord that you came and worshiped with us. We pray the Lord God will speak to your heart continually through his word. Tonight, we have the wonderful privilege of having a Baptist meeting, right? No, seriously, we hope that you care about your church. Uh, we've gone a long time without an update because of various reasons for uh, COVID and whatever else. Blame it on COVID, right? But so tonight we'll meet, but there are some interesting things and important things that we'll bring to our church body tonight and some things we've been reporting on and we'd love to have you come to hear that. So that will be at 5.30 tonight. Amen? God bless you. Look forward to next Sunday. Uh, I hope that you will pray for people who do not know the Lord. Maybe you invite someone to come to church with you on Palm Sunday or on Easter Sunday morning. Amen? God bless Amen. you. Hey, did anybody else besides me notice that under the uh, pretense of a academic study, there was a shameless reference to the Tar Heels? Yeah, <laughs> some of you did. <laughs> let's, uh, let's sing together. Crown him with the Lord of love. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side. Those wounds yet visible. 